This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is Mike Jackson. Mike is a multi-talented musician, composer, and overall creative with over 30 years of experience in the fields of music, commercial composition, as well as video and audio production. Mike is currently the visual and digital experience designer for the company Sedgwick. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So that was the formal introduction of our guest, Mike Jackson. Here's the informal introduction. Mike is one of my closest and dearest friends. Uh, We go way back. We were in bands together in Columbus. Mike is one of those musicians that a lot of us know who plays drums, guitar, keyboard, sings, and is able to apply this talent to the work that he does now. He has been uh, a teacher to me in in all things music and composition. He was one of the co-founders of this podcast when we started seven years ago. And when the opportunity to have him on the podcast as a guest presented itself, it just made so much sense. He's helped me to understand the home studio setup that I've been wrestling with for the last couple years. So I know it's been a big topic for the podcast in recent years as a lot of us are growing our home studios. And so I thought, man, what a great opportunity to introduce you all to my good friend Mike and for him to speak to some of these uh, concepts that we're all working with and hopefully uh, add some clarity and some better understanding to this aspect of the music industry that we find ourselves in. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Mike Jackson. said not to say the right thing but a key thing which is um just trying to use what i have mm-hmm. you know oh my god i mean that that's that's massive you know if you could just do that it's just so easy to get caught up in the i'm, I'm so guilty and you know and, and you know <laughs> of of uh just acquiring that whole thing i forget what they call it um gas or whatever gear acquiring syndrome or something like that. Oh my that. gosh, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a joke or not, but I'm like, oh my God, that's so true. But 
there's a whole other aspect to that that I thought about we could talk about later. But um, but I think the the plugins that I um, have heard like the real ones firsthand, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I feel like I can hop on uh, quicker, you know, like once moving down here and like going to various studios and hearing recordings and, you know, and, and having a friend that's got a Neve console, that kind of thing. You mean the actual the Neve, yeah, outboard like gear? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hearing the actual outboard gear. Um, the not actual, a simulation, yeah, not, not a, a simulation. plug-in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once I heard those things and then, um, began to appreciate, you know, what it is you're getting from that, you know, you know, they're so expensive and, and so many of our favorite albums and that kind of thing, so much of it has been tracked on that stuff that, um, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's just baked into what a good album is or a good sound is or whatever they're, they're synonymous, but um, but now having gone and seen and heard some things firsthand, um, that definitely it piqued my interest once people started claiming that okay, hey, we got this 1073 plug in, yeah. Um, and so I was like, mm, okay, well, let's see, let's see how this is. Like, I had UAD stuff before moving down here. Uh, I even had I had their 610 module or the um, the four channel 610 module. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are preamp and that was a physical, yeah, physical preamp that I'd had at owned. Um, it's like having four, six tens in a rack unit, but I mean, you know, they're not like, I don't know. There's all kinds of, um, I'm sure folks that have had the real units and that have owned the original units, they could tell you units. They could tell you the differences between eras and mods that kind of are things that have, that they've all gone through. Anyhow, all that to say, so, um, having heard them firsthand, um, it piqued my interest when, you know, folks like UAD came out and said, Hey, we've got this 1073, we've got this, that, and whatever. Um, so, um, that's, those are the ones that I've jumped on because, you know, you'll see these shootouts and it's like, man, oh my God, I, I can't tell the difference, (laughs) you know? And, you know, my ears apparently aren't trained enough or something, but it was close enough for me to feel like it had that certain characteristics that you know of, or, or I had come to know of, you know, like a certain saturation of, mm. of frequencies and, and like harmonic distortion, that kind of thing. Uh, I never understood that, but then it's just, um, that's a lot of what's going on on these old units, you know, just how it's handling the transients and not turning into just like weird, I don't know. It just, it does these, these old things just do beautiful. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I'm sure people know better than I, but maybe it's doing unintentional things. And that's what we've grown to know and love. Too, I think it know? is. I, I, I think it is. It's, but, it's uh, interesting to think of the, the, the history of technology yeah, and what yeah. some, what preamps were originally intended totally, for. Yeah. You know, that that's a fascinating, mm-hmm. that's a whole other discussion, but what we've come to appreciate because you talk about saturation, you talk about distortion and these different things, the characteristics that as the drumming community wants to hear. Talk about saturation. <laughs> <laughs> it seems still overwhelming. 
if you didn't grow up doing this or, mm. and I've, it's easy for me to kind of reach out and ask you a question and like, why does this work? And, and you have to tell me like three or four times before it sinks, sinks mm-hmm. in. So I thought what I would do is we would take a little bit of time and talk about some really basic things and, uh, and terminology and, sure. and kind of how this works and describe it have your words describe it in such a way that the way you do to me to help people understand. And for some people, they may know this, like, dude, this is like, you know, I already know this, but I think it's really important to kind of go back the way we go back to the basics when we're practicing. uh, It's really helpful in getting to the next level. Case in point, I thought I understood what a compressor was, but I was using it the wrong way and it was messing up some recordings. Mm. So that needs that needed to be rectified like real quick. Right. Um, but let's talk about what you're doing. Sure. Let me actually, before we move on, let me make sure that I have answered that question. Cause I want to be conscious of, what, what of was, finishing. What was well, the question? like yeah. it was more about like on that topic of say, getting a 1073 plug in that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The short answer of that yeah. long winded bit was about hearing something firsthand that enabled me to at least make a uh, you know a, a safer bet on this plugin to try it out and that kind of thing. And yeah. then you start seeing pros come out and do show, uh, shootouts. You know, uh, Jack Wire. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. King and uh, uh, Vince. Um, you know, a, a lot of the folks that do repping for UAD. It's like. I'm not going to argue with those guys. So many, so many good records. And if they come out and they're like, yeah, this is great. And I've heard with my own ears, I'm like, okay, all right, that's good enough for me. You know, right, right. it's like, and, and so basically, yeah, back to, to answer that question is that's kind of why I would recommend something. I start there. Like I start with what I've heard myself. I don't just go right in unless it's for a specific purpose that like, okay, this plugin's going to, this plugin is going to do blank and it's just the utility that I need, like a phase mm-hmm. shifter or something mm-hmm. or a polarity shifter, I should say. Yeah. Um, you know, but when it comes to, you know, that's different, but when it comes to like, you know, yeah, you gotta get, you gotta try out this preamp plugin. Like it's good to, for me, I make the decision based on hearing it. Um, okay. So that and aside, so I just wanted to be conscious of, of completing a thought, <laughs> you know, no, I get I'm it. So I get it. My I, mind is so, all over the map. I think the thing that's been frustrating for me is when I'm watching YouTube tutorials and they're like, okay, let's, let's a B this. Let's listen to this track with this 1073 while we're Mm -hmm. on that subject. And let's listen to it without here's the snare drum. Okay. Let's turn the 1073 on. Yeah. Listen to that off on. Yeah, you can really hear the warmth. And I'm going, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm not right. hearing anything. Well, see, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's the missing, you know, you're watching a video of someone <laughs> doing this in their studio with their monitors on. You're yeah. not getting the benefit of hearing all that other information that's Well, and going I think on. they recording it in such a way that I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, make sure I have headphones on. Yeah. They, I mean, it's a nicely produced thing. It's an engineer that I recognize or trust yeah. or something like that. They're not going to just sit there and put their phone up to it. Yeah. You know, but, but I think it's training your ear and, and, and how much value and how much stock do I put in this? 
because I get wrapped up in the <gasps> oh no, gotta I, have I sh- should I have that? Right. If I don't have that, is mm-hmm. that bad? And I'm like, oh god, yeah, yeah. it's like we know as drummers who've been around this stuff for so long that somebody's like, yeah, you gotta have. Uh, you you must have a six and a half by fourteen black beauty mm-hmm. in your arsenal, or you're you know. And I'm like, eh, of course, I'd love to have one, and I had one. Yeah, but I know lots of killer session players that work all the time that maybe don't have one, so yeah. that's okay. We're we're beyond that. Gear is new. Yeah, yeah. No, that I mean that goes right along with the gear acquisition thing. You know, it's kind of like, mm. uh in various production jobs that I've had, uh, like say doing like when I was a composer for a production company in Ohio, um, you know, you meet different people and you've got your coworkers and we always joke about, you know, when some new thing would come out, some, the, the new thing, whatever it is. And, and I am so guilty of this, but it, it really, um, Shiny really got to, you have to, um, question it but uh, it's like okay now i can get something done because this thing is out <laughs> now yeah. I mean, this is it this is gonna this is gonna do it i've got the new blank now okay i mean in in truthfully you know there's just a small part you know in my brain that will think that because you grow up i was speaking an i statement i grew up you know listening to the beatles listening to you know, the favorite bands, Rush, whoever it was, just everybody. And, um, you know, you see adverts uh, uh, for various equipment, things like that. It's always kind of about this pantheon of how can I get to this place where my gods were, you know, where my, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. my, you know, and unfortunately that part of that, that equation is, is having equipment to do certain jobs, you know, but that just sinks so deep sometimes that it's like, I start to believe that lie that, well, okay, now once I have that, okay, now, now, even though you'll be working and you'll be doing things, there's still that little, that little thing in your head that says, okay, now things are going to be different. But, uh, but I have to say, you know, it's just not true. You know, it, right. You know, it's good to have those things at things that you can look at in your life that completely defy that, you know, and, and choose to think on that, you know, like look at freaking Pixar or whatever, or some of the earliest movies they were made on like this, this old Mac, uh, or, or, or there's so many examples like that, but with the Pixar thing, you know, these old, this room full of, you know, these Macs that our phones are more powerful, you know, yeah. our phone is way more powerful than yeah. that. And, and, you know, but yet we enjoy the movie so much and it had an impact and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, they were able to accomplish this with something so old. And, and yet here I am going, ah, oh, this thing can't do this and it can't do that. You know, it's like I've had to force myself to, to think of that's a very real things thing. like that. You, it's a, oh, you're totally, not alone. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, don't I, let it prevent. I guess that's the thing. Don't let. I think that's going to go on because, like I was saying, you've got your idols, your heroes you look to, you look up to, you model. And part of modeling is literally watching and visualizing, look what they're doing. Okay, mm-hmm. how do I get there to, to do what they're doing mm-hmm. or sound like that or whatever? There's so much emulation that's going on that's necessary. Um, but um, somewhere along the way, you, you have to be able to say, or you just got to keep 
doing just doing what you do, whatever the thing that is that you're working on, whether it's you know drums, guitar, any anything. You've got to just do it, and you can't wait until you have blank. Right. You know, you've got to right. you got to be in motion to course correct. You can't just be like, okay, okay, now. Even mentally, you can't just be like, okay, now the real work's going to begin. <laughs> you know, now that I have blank. A friend of mine, Brian, or you know Brian, uh, duh, um, turned Which me on Brian? to uh, Block, Brian Block. Never heard of him. Um, Brian Michael Block. <laughs> okay. Oh, that one. He is the bomb. <laughs> B-M-B. b um, uh, Turned me on to Brushy One String. It's this guy in Jamaica. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 That's like one string. You know, mm-hmm. and I found myself like singing along going, shit. Here he's writing songs. He's not nothing stopping him. I like this. So you know, you, people can't see this, but you were like, "Yeah, I like." Oh shit! Like you <laughs> yeah. get excited. You're like, "Yeah, that sounds really good." Oh shit! It's <laughs> yes. One string. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, it's awesome. It's a great another one of those valuable lessons of yeah, right. and it goes contrary to what I just said. You have to have a working instrument. I guess technically he does. It's only one one string, but he did whatever he needed to do to get something out of it. And I, and I think that's the, uh, the fun, the cool side of, you know, uh, there's like a lesson a in really there. Really valuable yeah. aspect about that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Well, we always joke about how with uh, if a bass player walks in with a six string on your gig. You're like, uh Oh, <laughs> you know. yeah. But you know what? Um, but that goes to the limitation, what you were just saying. It's like, um, you know, sometimes, not sometimes, uh, limitations produce great things, you yes. know, and, uh, you know, having a four track and that's it. Yep. You know, you're able to just jump right in and focus on Mike other placement, things. tuning. Yeah. Um, the um, song itself. There's some, ex- imagine that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, a, a bulk of material was written with limitation, you know, and that's what I, a weak thing, uh, that I always want to improve. It's like, well, how can you just narrow in on a smaller sound set, so to speak, like, like in a composing type scenario? Okay. What, what's the, what's the core instrument set here? And then don't think about anything else. Just think about creating a vibe with just this. Um, anyhow, but to your, yeah, to your question, where would people start out? I mean, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, if um, you're and you're asking from a recording standpoint, yeah, or like for a drum. I, so I a drummer keep is- forgetting this is a drumming podcast. I'm sorry, I apologize to all the <laughs> listeners. I don't know what, ladies and what gentlemen, capacity I'm. Ladies here. and gentlemen, one of the co-founders, <laughs> yes, of the Working Drummer Podcast. Yeah, I, I've been known to play the drums. <laughs> yeah. But hey, um, we're, 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 you know what? I want to talk more about the gear, and that's uh, just kind of wet the appetite because I want to get into that. But and I, I think people will will appreciate this. But we can't go too far without just giving a little bit of background. Um, I, I don't know. We, we we tend to get less into the history of things, but at the same time, so people know. Longtime listeners know who you are. You've been on a few of the episodes in the past. But when I came up with the idea, when I thought this is what I wanted to do, you were the first person I contacted. And I'm like, man, will you help me do this? So you help me get this thing off the ground, this you podcast sure off yes? the ground. No, not in so much. Uh, you said, oh, uh, possible, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You had just, you had moved, well, we've been doing it almost seven years. And how long have you been in Nashville? Seven and a half. Really? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it'll be seven and a half coming up. That's crazy. That's crazy. But we've known each other since we were 16. Right? Indeed. And we're 30 now. So, yes. Yeah. Um, but we we both, and I want to talk about this too at some point, um, we both went to the School of the Arts. where we, So we went to separate high schools in Columbus. Yeah. And then we met at the School of the Arts, both as drummers. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And I had a couple people that I knew there, but I think within the first couple weeks, did you have a cassette of Power Windows? Or did I have a cassette? Jeez, I know. See, I we're actually eighty-six years old. So no. yeah, I owned a cassette of Power Windows. I don't know. It was just like in the lunchroom, yeah. and it was a very small community of dancers, musicians, actors, TV, and TV, and, and we were all in one crew. building. So it was mm-hmm. a, uh, it was freaks and geeks for totally. sure. Yeah, and it, it saved my. I was just going to say, save my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, that did. I, I always say that it saved my ass because yeah. I was hated school. All I wanted to do was music. My English teacher, who was failing me, you know, learned that that's what I wanted to do and hooked me up with an audition to go do that. And that's now cool. my son Isaac is at the School of the Arts here in Nashville, and he's failing you, and he's <laughs> failing me. No, and and I think that he was always a good student, but I think that as a young person. What a what a a rough time, yeah. And so that's my story. What like what is your? St- I I kind of assume we were all in the same boat. Hmm. Is it safe to assume that? How did you even get? I don't even know how you. How did I get to Fort Hayes? How'd you get to Fort Hayes? Uh, let's see. Uh, and do you know well, how to get to San Antonio? The, my brother. It. I mean, it began with, you know, like I'd mentioned, you know. Um, having brothers, I'm the youngest of eight. And, um, so there was a wide range of music always in the house. Music, you know, was just the thing that became like my lifeblood. Um, and so because of that, like my brother, my next oldest brother, he, you know, in I think fourth grade, when they start introducing band, he, you know, he brought home this awesome blue sparkled Ludwig snare drum. Yeah. And uh, so he was doing snare drum and uh, yeah. And I just remember like, oh my God, this is just like, it was just like life right in front of me. You know, I, like he had it and he was doing, messing around with a little, with it. You know, he, I, I, I don't ever, actually, I don't remember how long he even did it. But I, I just mm-hmm. feel like I just took it over. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. took, I took it over and. Um, Which brother was this? That was John. It was John? Mm-hmm. Really? John, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it was either, he wanted to do saxophone or something. But the John is your next oldest brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so it started there. And then in middle school, I started in, you know, doing drums in orchestra or, you know, whatever you call them, middle school. Concert band. Concert band. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So I was doing, you know, drums and percussion in concert band. And, you know, that's, like you said, it's a, a lifesaver that, or, or a life giving kind of thing. And, uh, so then let's see, yeah, middle, yeah, middle school and then went into high school and started, um, over the summer before high school, I went to, uh, I don't know how I ended up there. It was so bizarre. I thought it was the, uh, (laughs) it was so weird. I had a friend in middle school that, you know, I was so bummed. We were kind of splitting because this is in the era where, you know, I had a high school across the street 
Um, but I would not be going there just due to like, um, uh, the busing stuff that was going on. So I was going to be going out to a different school. And so therefore the friend of mine that I went to middle school with, uh, Yuji, um, he's a drummer as well. We used to put our drum sets together mm-hmm. and make Neil Peart kits. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, he was going to a different school. So I go to his summer camp for a marching band and it's like for a, it's not even my high school, but it's a marching band camp. <laughs> so bizarre. I don't know how, I don't know how, this, I think my parents just needed some place for me to be that wasn't at home right, or something. Right. I don't know. Anyhow, so I ended up going there, doing that for a while in this, at this marching band camp. And they were pretty hardcore compared to the high school that I ended up going to. Anyhow, so I did that over the summer. And then, and then uh, when ninth grade began, I went ahead and joined the marching band. Uh, and so I wound up uh, being like a snare drum row leader guy um, my freshman year. There was another guy that was in it. Oh, that's not true. He was he was the row leader. Then I became the row leader. Um, so like that how many snare, in that setup? How many snare drums were there? Uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> no that's, joke. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I, that's not true. Two. There were two. Oh. Yeah, it you doubled was in size. Small. Yes, yes, and that's what's crazy. I mean, that's what I think is important for people to realize is drum corps and all that stuff was in its infancy when we were in high school. Yeah, I mean, I went to a big high school that later split up. Yeah, but and we had four bass drums. Yeah, but they were all tuned the same. <laughs> you know, there was this right. It's not like it is now, and we had like a row. I mean. We just played. You actually never heard them because they were so in sync that there was phase cancellation. <laughs> Are you actually hitting? Or you heard? You just felt this impulse of anyhow. But yes. you know all about that now. Yes. Um, is there a limiter yes. on this? Yeah. Yes. Is it is it too much? It's too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So two bass drums, two yeah. snare drums, and then yeah. a tritom. Tritom. Brian Block uh, played. Oh my tritoms. gosh. In, yeah, uh, in March there were there were these weren't quads, these weren't quins. Yes, tritoms, tritoms, yeah. and they yeah. were heavy as fuck. And they were yeah. just <laughs> and whatever you do, try not to trip on them. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so <laughs> so yeah, so from there, uh, I, I think that's it was like okay, band band, and then they had jazz band, and this is the thing. I I think um, I was a, pretty much a hack at everything in the sense of. I just love to get my hands on the stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like anything I could find to make music on, that's what I would do, you know? So, um, I did learn to read in middle school. Like I was playing, doing the percussion parts yeah. and then I was doing, learning the percussion parts, uh, after that summer camp and then into high school. Um, but then, uh, I started playing the drum set in jazz band cause it was such a, such a small school, you know, they you know, the the band leader was just like, I, I just need people, you know? Right. But to to a certain extent, he was like, oh, okay, you've got some talent. Why don't, why don't you do, you play drums in the jazz band? So I played drums in jazz band. And then eventually when he was doing more orchestra, he's like, wow, well, I really need someone on violin. Will you play violin? <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, so I tried to read a little bit, but I, but no joke. I mean, I'm in a concert making up parts, just trying not to, <laughs> just trying not to play out of tune and trying to play in harmony with everybody. I mean, seriously. On the violin. On the violin. Yes. And, um, yeah, it was so bizarre, but I, you know, 
I made it out. Yeah, so then that eventually led me to Fort Hayes. So that was my first two years. Yeah, but time out here. I feel like a super shitty friend because I don't know any of this. What do you mean? You didn't know that? I, I didn't know, know you I played I violin. I like a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, no, trust me. I don't play violin. <laughs> um, Where is the violin now? Um, will you play for us now? I left it. No, I will not. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then that, I think that's eventually what led me to Fort Hayes. Um, um, did you go in audition and... Yes, I did an that? audition. And I, what's in hindsight, what I... I believe it was Fort Hayes, this very same school that we went to. Yeah. I think they came to my elementary school and did, and I remember way back then, this elementary school was right down the street from where I lived. And and I just remember, and this is, it tells you how old it is, they were playing the hits of the day and it was, you, babe, whenever I get weary, you know, Sticks, Babe. Oh they were doing God. Babe by Sticks. And uh, did I just sing? Oh, shit. Um, we can tune it. Okay, thank you. We'll talk about auto-tune. Yep, beat yep. <laughs> um, yep. Yes. Um, yeah, and I just remember going, oh, my God, that's... Oh, my God, they're making this noise, like, right now. This sounds like what I just heard on the radio. And it just left such an impression, you know, uh, You know, coming from a family, listening to music. We had all kinds of music, like I said, Older Brothers, the Beatles, my mom loved Johnny Mathis, my dad was more into country stuff. And um but to hear the those sounds coming out of a PA it was just like for a kid that I think that just sunk deep down. Anyhow, fast forward, you know, from middle from elementary school all the way to uh high school, I believe that this was uh, the same school that came came to my elementary school. Anyhow, yes, so I ad- I auditioned uh, I believe I auditioned on drums, I think. At, for, for Fort Hayes. At Fort Hayes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, at Fort Hayes. Yeah. I believe I auditioned on drums. Um, I think it was a snare drum piece Yeah. Um, that I prepared for. And um, yeah, that's about all I remember. And I think then, what's what, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about our experience at Fort Hayes and how important it was and how much of an impact that those adults had on us for the rest of our lives and those mm. opportunities is to, if, you know, now we have kids that are growing up, you know, I mm. mean, you have two daughters that are in their 20s and my boys are, you know, aging out of their teen years. Yeah. But man, how much sometimes we take for granted those experiences in our life and, and now all yeah. these years later, this is what we do. This is how we make a living. And for, uh, I don't know, I think about opportunities for people uh, in high school, in college, uh, just doing different things to uh, then discover something that may turn into a, a life they couldn't have ever expected, you know? Um, and, and I think what was, the other thing I wanted to, to bring up is, when we became friends and I would drive you home uh, after school and you're like, hey, man, come check out my drums. I'm like, oh, cool. So we go down, you get your kit down there. And uh, and then you're like, hey, check this out. And you pull out a guitar case and your Strat, your black Strat was mm. there. I was like, who's that? <laughs> you're like, it's my guitar. What do you mean it's your guitar? You play drums. 
you don't play guitar, you play drums. You like you choose. Yeah. And you were playing guitar. And I was like, uh, how can you funny. do that? You know? Yeah. But it goes to speak to like, no, you were just in it music, mm-hmm. a- anything music. Right. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think that was it. It was just like anything I get my hands on to, yeah, because it was a, a voice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. a way to communicate, mm-hmm. create, and yeah. just loved it. And, and it was, you know, like I said, one step closer to the gods, you know, that you see, you're just like, right. oh my God. Right. That's awesome. But, which is, which is, you know, a step out of like, you know, adolescence, you know, it's a hard time for a lot of folks. And, you know, and so that's, and it's not old or uh, what's the word? It's not new information. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's the classic thing, you know, that's just one minor outlet that that it plays such an important role, you know, in helping you form your own identity you know, in a, in a oh, hard yeah. time of life, oh, yeah. you know, and, uh, yeah. So I just like clung to that big time, man. It's, it's powerful. I'm the, one of the guests that we've got coming on, uh, I, I'm, I'm reading his book now and it's all about him being 13 and discovering music and mm. discovering punk rock. Mm. And that was so empowering. Awesome. And I, I completely relate to what <laughs> he was going through and I see my son identify with his music and 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 personality and the way he carries himself, and it makes me so happy that uh, be, be just I don't know it, it's it's a very really tough time of life, but it also I think it's empowering uh, even as an adult to feel like. Uh, to be able to play an instrument is is rare. To be able to earn a living as a musician is even more rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, hopefully we take a little time to just kind of recognize uh, that power that we're giving ourselves to kind of wade through life um, as uh, as musicians, as lovers of music, mm-hmm. uh, just the, the, what it what it gives us in life. My other son is is not a musician, but he loves music, and he love you know it's like his life is so much better. Hmm. Uh, I personally I feel because as a result, and your girls, man, they're super mm-hmm. like knowledgeable about music hmm. and all this other stuff, and it's like they're telling me about stuff that I've never heard of, and it's it's I love it, man. It's so cool. Yeah, cool. it's neat to hear what inspires them. You know, like what it, what is it that they mm-hmm. are getting out of it, and how it like hits right. them in different ways. Right. Yeah. So we we met and so we, it was a two year program and you were in a band with our friend Brian Block and the guitar player our friend Ty he left and so you're like oh well I'm not gonna play drums I'll play guitar hey will you play drums and I'm like Whoop. yeah and you were booking like, you were booking that's right yeah, for a little sorry, bit. I'll be a booking agent yes yeah I'm like 17 years old I'll be a booking agent yes you know. <laughs> You were, you were you're like, you know. I was out hustling. I was trying to totally, get Totally, just like the, now, you know, just working hard, you know. Trying to, I think, I'll so we're like, do yeah, the business. We'll have Matt do this. Yeah. So it was, it, that was, a, that was a trip. And then I think we've, I don't know how many different bands we played in over the years. We were in a police, do you remember this? We were in a police tribute band for a minute. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh my God. We were a top 40 band. Uh, we started, an, yes. uh, we started another original band. Um, but man, all those things that were going on while I was the new original in right. co- in college, where I was kind of like I was working with people in a very kind of academic structured 
type thing. I always felt like having my uh, being grounded uh, or being in a community of creatives and musicians uh, outside of kind of the academia was really healthy Hmm. and gave me a healthy perspective of what this thing is, music, creating, art, Mm. and all these things. And um, having a degree does not a musician make. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, So it was always really important for me to to see that and and to to have that early lesson uh, in life. And I always always credit our friendship so much to giving me that healthy perspective (laughs) to that. Um, And we all know so many musicians and artists and people, experts in their field that don't have what we consider the education that you're supposed to, people say you're supposed to have. You you don't have to have that. Um, But for, but I think college was super, super important for some people and it's not for others, you know, it's not necessary, you know? Yeah, no, no. I think the same is, is true for me in the sense that, you know, I had that side, like, like you said, um, um, like I had my perspective and approach to it. And then when you went through that stuff with school um, and then all the different types of music, it just seemed like um, what that enabled you to do, you know, going, you know, going and doing freaking big band stuff and then mm-hmm. Afri Cuban and all this other stuff. It's, it widened that um, the creation potential even more, mm-hmm. you know? So on the, you know, um, so on the one hand, uh, yeah, it wasn't a one way benefit benefit thing going on there you know right it was neat to see that uh and now looking back that that is the one thing that you know i i um like the schooling would help say for you know like we've talked about it before but like say orchestration yeah um which you're doing now it comes yeah i mean i i do my own all you know all self-taught that kind of thing yeah one one when work like that comes up. Um, but that would be, um, you know, that stuff you got early when you went to school. Well, yes. And and now yeah. And- yes. And no, it's, it's interesting. Like a couple of things, uh, when we were, when we were learning music theory at the school of the arts, we had two teachers and Mary Daniels was one of the teachers. And she's like, the purpose of music theory is just to answer questions is to resolve to, if you run into a brick wall, when you're writing, when yeah. you're creating, then understanding of theory will yeah. get you out of it. But it's you don't need to under you don't need to know all this stuff to make music. You can make music now. Right, right. She reinforced that. And the other yeah. the other point I wanted to say was when you would come to the college and we would play as a band for like whatever year we do this benefit concert, I was super proud of the mm-hmm. band. You know, we'd go in and, and all the bands would come together. We'd do like a benefit concert every year and it was just all student run. So all the different students, we'd put together these groups and makeshift groups and they have jazz band and have different things like that. And we'd learn some Peter Gabriel songs with, you know, a bunch of music majors. And that was pretty cool and stuff like that. But then my band would, would be there and we'd do our stuff. And it was, I just, I just loved it. And I'm like, and then the joke would be, you know, quoting Spinal Tap, you know, Brian would say, we're not university material. What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, it, I'm like, hey, this is, oh, uh, 
the other thing that in this book that I'm reading right now, it, that when the when the the drummer who I'm going to be talking to when he met his cousin for the first time, at, who was in a band, and he was 13 years old, and he's like, "Wow, you're so cool. You're a musician," and he goes, "I'm not a fucking musician. I told you, I'm in a band." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I thought that was cool. You know what? You just reminded me. Another component was, um, I remember. In middle school, you know, I, that I mentioned that blue snare drum. Yeah. So I'd had that, and I forget what else. Oh, right, right. Okay, Bernie, uh, who's from Stone Custom Drums. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Who worked on Neil's drums? Yeah, he worked on Neil Peart's drums. Uh, my my brother was uh, friends with his cousin, so you know they'd hang out all the time. And uh, he was like, yeah, you got to meet my cousin. You know, he, he paints drums. I, he, I think he worked at Columbus Percussion at the time. This is like 80s, talking like mid, what? maybe 85, okay. 84. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Anyhow, um, so I go to see Bernie, his drum kit, and he had this mega, uh, like, shiny, I don't know, I don't know what type it was. It was like silver, like like mirror. Okay, big, like big a chrome double kit, double pedal Ludwig kit, and it was all up in this huge barn, and they had massive PA in this barn because this is where they rehearsed. And yeah. um, I just remember sitting down and playing on it, and uh, and he was like talking to my talking to my to my brother, saying, "Oh man, you really really gotta you know help get him going. You know he's got some abilities there, something like that." Yeah. Um, but point being was he he ended up trading me for that snare drum, which now I think I think you, you refer to that occasionally. You saw is it Duco or uh, oh you mean that? the fade the Duco finish? Yes, yeah, yeah. it yeah. was a, it was like one of those. Oh, but a, but a student line? Uh, maybe? No, no, no. It, I think it in hindsight I think it might it must have been better, but maybe not. I don't know. Anyhow. But some of those student drums were Duco. Oh, okay, and they were six lug. Because oh. it was the hardware, but they were really nice drums, and uh, I think that's why he liked it. Yeah, he traded me if, like a a ride cymbal. I needed cymbals at the time, yeah. So he traded me a ride cymbal and something else for that snare drum. Yeah, uh, I just remember that as weird. I mean, you don't have to go too far back that. where guys were going on eBay and snatching those things up right and left. I thought so. I thought I remember. Yeah, you they're really something about. And that. I need I need to get a couple. Yeah. Speaking of acquisitioning gear. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, there was a time like Matt Chamberlain said, he, every time he saw one on eBay for 150 bucks, he would buy yeah. it. And, I'm, and he's like, I have too many now. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> right look. here. I, I bet that's what it was. Yeah. 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 It, I, I remember uh, he was definitely excited when he saw it. He was like, oh, man, that's really cool. But at the time, I'm like, I don't care. I just, I just need Well, symbols. vintage gear up until recently. It wasn't that big, yeah. Gosh, my 71 Ludwigs I paid 250 bucks for. Yeah. You know, I mean, from my boss who, you know, gave me a deal, but still. Yeah. I mean, they're, that kit now sells for like $3,000. But when crazy. I bought it in the late 90s. Um, mm. So you moved, we were, people know, we're both from Columbus. I moved down here in 2000. You had an opportunity and were just ready to make a change and moved your family down here seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, did some different types of work, but you were working for a production company in Columbus 
and doing some things that you're doing now similarly. Yes. Is that safe to say? Yes. So describe what you're doing now, because I want to talk a little bit about the compositional, the creative things. So. Yeah. So, yeah, in Columbus, you know, uh, coming out of when we were playing in a band together, it was just like in my mind, you know, having not gone to college in my – my thought was, look, I don't care what I'm doing as long as it's music related. Yeah, I didn't care. At least that was the young mindset. Um, so working in an office or a bank seemed so far away from, even though that's what I did. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when op- and an opportunity came up to work in, say, like a production company that's around, like. Uh, you know, equipment that shoots video or like makes videos and that kind of thing that seemed much cooler and closer to right in line right with stuff. So, so taking a job in that uh, was a big step, like working for free for a production company intern, so to speak. Okay, uh, it was an unpaid internship at a production company. I'm like, I'll take it, I'll take it, anything. Um, but I learned so much, you know, starting in the tape room where, you know, you still had physical tapes. Well, I guess we might still have tapes now. Anyhow, started in the tape room dealing with duplication and then feeding tapes to online editors when they're doing edits. You know, you're shuffling tapes, loading tapes for them as they would make a cut between one shot on from one tape to the shot on another tape. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, now this is right when, uh, right before Avid uh, took off, like non digital, non linear editing, you know, and what it is today. We're doing it on our phones for crying out loud. But this is b- right before all that took off. Anyhow, so. But yeah. video and music production, is there a parallel? In- yeah, I would, yeah, great. Uh, yeah, exactly. As processing power got, you know, has increased in storage capacities and things like that. You know, they just went right hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. to your point. Yeah, like back to the whole latency issue. Yeah. You know, you know, it took a whole dedicated card to handle processing just to get your audio back out of the machine in time. So when you're recording, you could feel like you're able to play in time. You know, that yeah. took a dedicated machine, a brain to compute all that and spit it back out in a, like you re- in a reasonable a- amount of time. Do you feel like you have an advantage in understanding technology the way it is now because you were you had hands-on experience with the analog world? Uh, a little bit. I mean, you know, I forgot. I mean, another component is my dad was in communications in the military. Oh, okay. And when he got out, um, he there were always like computers around. Like, yes, I'm I always remember that. Talking the very yeah. first. You Going know, to your house, you always had a computer. A luggable, you know, like this IBM thing that has mm-hmm. a big old handle on it. And we had a 5150 out in the garage with these seven-inch discs. <laughs> I mean, just all this stuff. So I think growing up around it, I wasn't afraid to, like, just push buttons and see what would happen. And I'm surprised I'm not dead because I'd, like, try and make my own stereo or take the record head out of one machine and solder it into something else. And I had no idea of the concept of powered monitors <laughs> like we all use today. You know, like say your Mackies or yeah. any, all these monitors, they, they have power in them. It's not just a speaker. It's, yeah. It has, there's a, an AC component. Anywho, um, so I'm surprised I'm not dead because I would wire things that should not have been wired together. <laughs> Anyhow, so to your point, um, yeah, so that, that, that gave me the interest for sure. I wasn't as afraid of the technology. Yeah, I would just kind of like, say 
yes to everything and and just learn as I went, you yeah. know. Um, so yeah, working in the tape room, um, and then eventually they had a, started an audio department, and um, but that's you know that's a, maybe a couple years later, and by then I I mean I had was already married, and we were getting ready to have our first daughter, and it was like, okay, uh, do I. You know, do I go into an area that's shaky or less stable mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to uh, pay, that kind of thing? Or do I just stay with the video route? So I stayed with the video route because it seemed as though the department was a little bit unstable. So I just kept on the video path and kept moving up. Eventually, they got more and more into nonlinear editing with various systems. As the resolutions got better and better, you know, you could actually finish on a box, finish on a computer finish your video how did you understand the gear as you were getting into the studio and recording <laughs> yeah. yeah uh how did i understand youtube it? wasn't there yeah um there was no youtube there i no. would get it you know that's the thing they're uh back to your point like guru you know maybe not guru or just someone who supports and wants to support and see you succeed it's, yeah it's always awesome to have people like that like my brother who robert who bought he bought my guitar bought my drums yeah you know just so grateful that you know he saw talent there and uh and it wasn't just him i know maybe a couple of my other brothers helped as well (laughs) maybe Uh i don't have the full picture but the point is is that there are always people there that supported things like that when they saw talent and so and then also um with the the role at that production company, there was another guy there who was a voice talent mm. artist, and he was also a songwriter. Mm. And he could see that there was some ability there, and and um, he just said, "Here, why don't you take this thing?" And is that Chuck? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Chuck Brown. He's like, "Why don't you?" There was a piece of hardware. They, I think, they attempted a book to tape at one point, and it didn't go well or something. So there was parts of an of a Pro Tools system spread out across the whole facility. And I would look at it and be like, oh my God. Is this like mid 90s? Yeah, this is like, yeah, exactly. Okay. Or I'd say like 96, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so he let me take it home. He even bought a little special adapter card for my computer so I could run it. You have a computer? Yeah. Imagine <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're doing this on a computer now, right now, right? Why is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was one of those things, one of those investments. I had to bite the bullet and, and talk my wife into it and be like, this is an investment. This is, you know, um, yeah, so that that's an it's inter- interesting thing to have uh, those moments where you're like, okay, yes. You know, again, back to your point about does it take, what does it take to get into things, you know? Okay. There's one thing. If you want to play guitar, you're gonna have you have to have a guitar that plays well. Well, if it doesn't, then then you'll play one string. You know, you'll find a way to make music. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if you want to do computer recording, you can't do it without a computer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, uh, right. But I mean, do- just how you c- came across. But but I, I see the, the the kind of the the seed was planted early yeah. on, and your interest in music and and yeah. But and technology and how the two came together, and I mean. Right. I think what I'm hoping people take away from this is we have so much at our disposal. We have so much information uh, right now, easily accessible, and yet 
Yeah. The yeah. quality of art and creativity, the hmm. quality of, of music across the board, I f- personally, I feel like is lower than it's ever been. Hmm. Now, the ability to distribute so hard to measure that, but I know what you mean. Well, yeah, yeah I, I think on, on a very popular level, yeah. um, you know, uh, talking about our heroes and talking about, you know, bands, early bands that with very limited technologically, yeah. uh, very limited technology, were able to create things like Sgt. Pepper. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And now, like, the most popular thing is stuff that you're just kind of like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, it's just a piece of shit. And yet you have every sound right. at oh, your disposal. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Any, you know, and, and so without going too much on a tangent and telling people to get off my lawn, it, it might, that's kind of, we always, even now, we know that, we appreciate yeah. that. But you and I also now are in the thick of the information age and mm-hmm. the ability to, we laugh now, um, so for people that don't know, when you guys moved to Nashville, you found a house two doors down from me. So it's like mm-hmm. you've you're here in my studio. I can go to your studio. We we laugh about how cool it would have been to think that when we were teenagers to have all this shit, and now we have it all. And now what do we do with it? Oh, I don't know. Back when we had the energy to do something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, you know, so Just I have kidding. everything at my disposal. I have guitars, yeah. I have keyboards, I have a shitload of drums, right. everything. And somebody said, well, Trey Gray said, uh, uh, Trey Call said to me mm. a couple years ago when I was putting my studio together, he goes, dude, I bet you're like recording beats all the time and doing them. I'm like, I'm not. Yeah. Why am I not doing that? Mm. Well, you know, I'm life. I'm playing gigs, yeah. I'm playing music, you know, and, yeah. and you're creating and you're working, uh, you know, you, you that's what you do for a living, mm-hmm. but a the struggle is, yeah. how do you maintain this, like, creative Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, to your point, I mean, that music, the music portion, I've had to, you know, move to the side. Uh, getting mm-hmm. back to the video stuff, that's what I do for a day job. Well, I jump, do jump, if you handle can't, video do production. Do you mind yeah. jumping forward no. to saying like what it is that you're doing now? Yeah, like uh, on, so coming, f- I'll, I'll make it a quick jump. Um, I'll step back to the production thing. Yeah, so by the time I left that first production company, I was doing composing uh, and I'd had experience with audio engineering. You can talk, but I'm going to edit all this out. Oh, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, yeah, audio production and because of guys like, you know, Chuck Brown and other people that were like, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they gave me freedom to learn and that kind of thing. And I was just so hungry that I'm like, I'll do whatever I need to do. Literally, because you spent your money on that computer. exactly. Okay. Yeah. And that sack of beans. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard about that for years. Um, Um, so yeah, so then from there I got, went over to the competitor, you know, uh, company and Mm. was, played the same role. I was staff, um, I was staff composer for them for 12 years, uh, a video editor and an audio engineer and and recorded a lot of, um, commercials, a lot of, um, books of tape, a lot of, uh. Uh, but when it came to music, it was political stuff and longer industrial. It was commercials, um, uh, game shows. I've done themes for game shows, mm. uh, um, art installations. 
So a kind of a varied range of music. So um, then coming here to Nashville um, um, to keep, you know, to keep uh, income steady, you know, I'm still in the video production world. So, um, yeah, so currently my day job is creating video uh, videos to explain certain, you know, concepts and like benefits, so to speak, um, like short-term disability, things like that, but in creative ways, like with animation and, and, um, things like that. So, um, so using video editing software on a computer, uh, recording voiceover, like kind of overseeing a voiceover session, that kind of thing, that was all experience, you know, gained over time that all kind of, um, kind of led up to this, you know, this, where I'm at right now. Yeah. And then, um, I also still have my own, uh, magpie mind music where I'll compose for whoever and whatever. Um, uh, I have a, some clients from Ohio that I still do work for, uh, routine. Um, you've done, uh, you've done commercial music for Toyota. Yes. Uh, Ohio lottery. Yeah. Like, uh, national Toyota spots. Um, as well as, uh, I think up north, Value City Furniture down south. It's American yeah. Signature Furniture. So, um, you know, things like that. Uh, I've done like some indie film stuff. Another great project, uh, mid-2000s, was a was an indie web series called Aiden 5. Oh, right. That uh, the guy we had mentioned earlier, Brian Michael Block, um, he was the lead actor in that. Um, but that was awesome to be able to work on because it was more... F- uh, film score type project. Um, Can you break down like when when you talk about composing music? A lot of people are then just thinking songwriting. They're thinking you know what we what we think of as a songwriter or m- m- composing music because because we've we've talked about this too, like creating a sound library and doing mm-hmm. things like that. And and even when we were in the midst of the shutdown and I started doing a, dabbling a little bit more, had more time to, to, to do some writing and things like that. Um, you were, you were kind of trying to teach me about if you're going to create music for television mm. or, or potential, you know, clients that would like to use what mm-hmm. you're creating here yeah, for a commercial, for, yeah. Um, background in a TV show or movie. Yeah, there are certain uh, guidelines. Yeah, and styles that you stick stick to. Yeah, no, th- that's great. Could you unpack maybe a couple of those things? Yeah, um, that was one benefit of of being in the audio engineer role at the previous jobs. Like I was the engineer sitting there with a wall of CDs of music choices. Oh, wow. Uh, of choices that, that had to serve the spot. Um, so, you know, uh, sometimes it began with a client coming in saying, I want something like this, this, this. And so you get to know the libraries and so you'd know where to look and you'd pull up a, a good selection and then you'd sit there and you'd watch and you'd be playing the music underneath. Um, 
and you just kind of be zooming through each track, just trying to see what sits well tonally underneath mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes the person's voice is up here, and hey, hey, kids, how you guys doing today? And so if you got a track that's up in there, that's right in the range. Mm. And so, but that some of those things are just instinctively, you would just feel it, and you'd be like, sure. okay, that doesn't work, but. Technically, that's probably the reason why. It was just competing with... But I also think we take it for granted because of our True. history with music, our love of music, that, you know, like, oh, it's just, it's, of course, it doesn't make sense, but you know there's people that are like, I wouldn't know. I yeah, know. no, no, that's true. You know, but yeah, but to your point, that there is that, that just seems like super logical, but then there's other elements that differentiate what you do, what makes you a professional at this compared to somebody that's like, oh, I'm just going to throw some music on this video. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those, I think those, you develop those nuances um, because, you know, you start looking at how is it, you know, how is it supporting what's going on? Mm-hmm. And for the commercial stuff, it's pretty short, but, um, you know, it it had to be right. You know, it's like it had to fit just right. Um, eventually, the good thing is, you get to a place where the agency folk begin to trust you, that kind of thing, you know? And so it's about making, ultimately it's about making them look good. (laughs) You know, it's like they come in and they're kind of trusting your expertise. And that was a cool place to be. Eventually it took time to get there, you know, it's the classic, you know, you don't walk into a room and go, Hey, I'm going to bear my soul to this person. I don't know. Or sometimes you do, I suppose. Um, (laughs) Like you gotta, you gotta warm up to someone. And so that's that general uh, path that happens when you're working with clients that eventually they begin to trust you and your sensibilities. Um, but you know, I guess to your point, I had to have the sensibilities, didn't I? It did lead up to there, but that's also kind of a goal for people that are looking for more steady work, either live or in the studio, especially in the studio is that producer that trusts you. And so they yeah. use you on a session or they hire you for a remote session. It goes well. Cool. Well, I've got another person that right. you know another song. Would you? How do you handle this song and this style and this person? And then after about twelve times, that's the that's the hope as as a as a drummer that wants to find you know like six producers that all trust you. And some of my friends that work as session players yeah. have the studios and the producers and the engineers that love these guys, right. trust them could bring them in, in on any situation. But it didn't start out that way. It started out one at a time, and they're like, ooh, this guy was good. He nailed that song. Mm-hmm. Let's see what he does with this song. So you're kind of describing the same thing. Right. Let's see, see how Mike does with this commercial, what he picks out. Oh, yeah, and, exactly. And yeah. then what you learn along the way mm-hmm. adds on to that. The more experience you have, the stronger. Yeah, no, totally. I think I feel like it's that way probably anywhere, really, you know? It's just Well, it is. In it many is. industries. But well, I like I would like to think that what you do what the what in the creative world is is super special in the fact Certainly that has way more value than anything else. <laughs> I'm I, I think so. Uh, I no, think I so. do. I do place I, a high value on it. I, I don't mean to joke cuz like you that. I mean, I'm not It means a lot to be able to express. I I'm only joking about how important I make it. But that's that sensibility thing. Like eventually they come to trust what you, your sensibility was something. And so um, I was glad to be able to have that and see that uh, happen as well. And not just 
you know, it's one thing to sit there and think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. But then to see it kind of happen and be reassured over time is nice. You know, it's like, oh, okay, okay. They, it stuck. This it worked. worked out. Yeah. I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. I'm uh, like, okay, there's some tangible evidence here. Yeah. You know, um, so that was nice early on. Um, yeah. So now I'm lost. Yeah. So getting back to where we are now, that's, so I'll, I'll do music. Uh, for folks now, um, yeah, commercial. I'm trying to think. What, um, one we of the did last a thing. We did. did a thing together not too long ago. Was it for Value City Music? Yeah, I think we were doing. Yeah, that was a track for. Yeah, they and it was to, really interesting because it was interesting to hear uh, to kind of follow you along the process because. Uh, we messed around with some drum parts. Um, you broke a hand drum of mine. I'm kidding. I did. <laughs> Sorry. Peace. Um, uh, we, we came up with something that, oh, this sounds great. This feels good. And then the client's like, nope, we don't want this. And you have to figure out. It's like, yes, I yeah. am the creative person here. This sounds killer. Right. But you have to deal with clients and that's yeah. another aspect and that was an ex- that was an interesting thing for me to kind of sit back and watch you mm. and to like well they like this but you know they're not sure about this part so kind of had to redo this or the snare sound is too much mm-hmm. you know and so we changed it and and that's just like going into a session for a singer songwriter right you know and it's like oh yeah i really like the bridge but you know can you do a little less of this or a little bit more of that it's the same thing but you really have to be patient with the process, especially in a corporate setting. Right. And, and yeah, patient with the process and, and like really have to manage your emotions and not, um, you know, especially if it is something that you, you felt really good about yourself, exactly. you know, there is that moment of, okay, you got to put yourself in check, so to speak, and say, all right. It's not personal. They just don't like blank. It's not about, but there, but you know, but that's the, some of the artist aspect, so to speak, or whatever. Um, uh, if you have that in you where you, where you, where you feel like you're pouring yourself into it more. Um, uh, and that's kind of what I dealt with growing up. Um, there's so much that you pour into it, that it's hard to learn how to separate yourself mm-hmm, so you can mm-hmm, take that kind mm-hmm, of thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but you get there, you know? And now I think now it's kind of like, okay, it's not personal. They just don't like this hi hat. It needs to be, you know, yeah. darker or whatever, blah, blah, right, blah. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's, it's all. And I think for people that want to do this, there's a lot of parallels between like working in a band situation, working, you know, it's like if you're getting into commercial music, you're wanting to compose more. It's like, yeah, you are going to have to figure out how to find that happy place between what you're creating Mm -hmm. and what the client needs. And as drummers, I think we're pretty poised well for bobbing and weaving and adapting and not taking it personally. Yeah, you know, because uh, we know what works, we know what gets work, and um, we have our heroes and those that play a million miles an hour around the kit. But we also know what keeps us busy as players. Right, right. So there's that same element. I, there was an interesting thing that I learned from you uh, last year when we were messing around with some TV type music, and I was trying to work on some soundtrack stuff, and and you said no, 
two things that were really interesting that I still do to this day is like if you watch these shows and my wife was really into 90 Day Fiance for a while and I actually found myself watching it but watching it with intent by listening to the music that was being used and on all kinds of TV shows like there's your school right there man just Mm -hmm. watching what producers are choosing to use on their television shows especially tons of reality shows or commercials and things like that and um, the other thing that was really interesting was you talked about consider what's happening on on screen and what people are watching and there's a rhythm to speaking and conversation and things like that. And so if you're composing something that has a, a strong rhythmic element, so I'm speaking to people like me, drummers that are trying to get into the commercial world, creating sound libraries and things like that, we want, we're thinking like drummers. We want to like compose mm-hmm. something that has this cool rhythm on it or something yeah. like that. But you have to be really cautious about introducing heavily syncopated rhythms and right. things like that to uh, to music that you're hoping will get picked up yeah. by an agency that will place your music yeah. in. Yeah, no, that's totally right. I mean, there, there's such a range of, there's such a range of um, ways of looking at how you're going to compose for something. It's like you can like you were just saying, uh, like say the rhythm thing, um, mm-hmm. the, the best thing is just to be aware of all of it and then use that awareness as a tool to help you arrive at your destination. You know what I mean? It's not like, okay, um, you, it's, there is no hard and fast rule about anything, but, but the, the point is, is it's like knowing the rules before you can break them. That kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, if, you, if people are having a conversation and um, <laughs> and uh, and you've got this, you know, what, what was it, Birdman? A great yeah. example, you know. Um, Antonio Sanchez you, was the drummer on that. Yeah, you probably never would have thought that a, a, that kind of thing would have worked, you know, yeah. like if before it came out. It might have felt like it was way too chaotic or something, yeah. but it really played and sat well with it because it works so well with that movie um um and he knew he knew how to punch certain things and he also knew how to play very legato and played these just long roles and different things right. used different elements of the kit the way he knows how to to keep from interfering from i need to watch that again and right but it's what a, a great example but oh, i think shit. but i think that's the thing it's like knowing you know if you have a conversation going on between two people and you could you know and you're trying to you're you notice that they're they're at a certain cadence like yeah what do you think about this well i don't know what do you think well you tell me you know i'm tired of this blah 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 you know they're kind of going like that and you're like okay how about this Okay, yeah. What about you? No, you tell me. Well, no, once you, you know, you know what I mean? Like you could do that or you can do whatever you want. But like I said, being aware of your options is the best thing. So then you can decide how you want to play it. You could have been lockstep with them like that, uh-huh. their same rhythm, or you could make it feel even more chaotic by going in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Or you, you slow way down. That way you even notice how more or how much more uh, frenetic their conversation is. You know what I mean? There's Letting just, them take over. Almost exactly, like yeah. when, when one player in a band is, is playing busy, you back off. Right, When they're right. playing simple, you 
can play busier. Yeah, it's like it's all about tapping into that emotion underneath what's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're hearing them say certain things, but there's a there's an anxiety aspect to it. And so it's like so when you're creating, you're trying to tap into that deeper thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So knowing all those different options arms you a little better to to serve it best. Um, you know. And and you know, sometimes and that can be subjective. Someone you know, say you're the composer and you you put it all out there and you're like, yeah, I think this really helps the scene because, you know, they're, they're talking so fast. Yeah, and, and you're so, all excited about it. And- right, and you have your reasons for it and, it and that's fine. But then the director's like, ah, oh, no, I think I, I want the exact opposite. I really want the, <laughs> you know, that's okay. But you, I feel like you'll feel better knowing that you arrived at that conclusion having thought about that versus... You know, at least, or the, at least from experience, that's how I feel. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. I've actually got into the craft of what's going to make, uh, or what have people done to make something shine or make, make yeah. it work better, you know? Just to kind of reiterate, um, for anybody that's interested in doing more or has thought about this, consider the information that's right in front of us every day, commercials, uh, on TV, on YouTube, everywhere. Um, that I just like the music is it's it's mm-hmm. it's all around it surround it surrounds us <laughs> binds us right. I'm not gonna say the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Why compression? What is it? Why would I use it? Why, when, when would I use it? Okay, so why compression? I mean, um, I have no, okay, I have no idea why. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, no, uh, I've started to go into, I was thinking about this giant tangent about the radio industry back in the 40s or whatever, and, you know, like a compressor or a television, the, the original roles, and that's some of the, yeah. my, my years could be off, but um you know, they were compressing, literally, uh, trying to reduce the frequency, uh, uh, the peak ranges of a signal in order to make it stronger as they were to boost it out with these amplifiers, or, you know, uh, you know, how, how they, um, I can't, not the right word. For the length, for, for the radio signal to get, to reach yes, far thank you. away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the transponder, whatever it is. Anyhow, yeah, so... Um, a compressor on on the signal helped that, from what I know. Kind of like a stream of a like like a hose. If it's, Bingo! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as soon yeah. as you compress that water, it shoots mm-hmm. further. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, versus uh-huh. just running, and you might someone might step on the hose, and then it gets really strong, and then it yeah. goes weak again. And uh-huh. um, anyhow, so um, so to that point, um, it's limiting the peak ranges, um, and then also. Uh, Actually, had the uh, the alternating effect of rising or raising the the say the lower the noise floor, so to speak. 
mm-hmm. of so the quietest parts kind of rise up a bit and then the, and the transients are reduced so you have an overall a little bit more uh, solid so it makes the loud the loudest parts softer the softer parts louder bingo yes gotcha. yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so a compressor so you know that's how it began years ago from what I from what I know but mm-hmm. Anybody correct me. Anyhow, so, but it just sounds so damn good on drums. <laughs> um, well, you know, but see, that's the thing. When you start using it um, for your drums, um, you know, it just, there's just so much that we're used to listening to. Listening to, You know, think about the biggest disappointment you had or delineation going from, say, one of your favorite albums, and then you go to a drum kit in real life at the store the yep. first time. Yep. You're like, oh, man, how come I don't sound like... And, you know, like well, the snare drum being... Well, growing up in the 80s, fat, growing know? up in the 80s was the worst. Yeah, exactly. It's all that gated reverb and, and all well, that stuff yeah. on, the, on the snare drums, and I'm like, and I've got this, you know... Yeah, exactly. Where is that... And and much of that goes back to kind of like we were saying in the beginning about like say a ten seventy three and then and then a and then a compressor like so the right preamp through a right you know compressor I shouldn't say quote unquote right uh, the ones we we're used to uh, yeah speaking for our experience growing up listening to albums um, yeah so that's disappointing when you come to a real drum kit and you're like it doesn't sound like that well that's because you're not hearing it processed you know yeah so. Um, uh, a, B, that to, say, a jazz combo, you know, that's like a real drum kit, you know, just the sound of like, you know, when you walk into a room and, and you're just hearing a drum set right there in front of you, uh, most like jazz albums, that kind of thing, you know, like the old classics, you're yeah. like, oh, okay, that's what a drum kit actually sounds like unprocessed. That's, that's why I love jazz recordings. You yeah. hear the actual drums, the cymbals. Right. Everything, and it feels yeah. way more accessible. It's like, oh, yeah. wow, this is cool. I can do this. Because yeah. there's something, I don't know, it, it always fed my soul a little bit going, knowing that I was somehow attaining something that I had heard. I don't know why. But it was just like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Um, because it sounds just like what, what yeah. I just heard. And then, but yet you put on an album and you're like, damn, it just doesn't sound like you like a Queen album or something like Oh or whatever gosh, it yeah. is, you know, like yeah. big old drum fill from. Uh, what's the difference between that, like a compressor and a limiter? Ah, aha. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, a compressor uh, and a limiter. A limiter is more of a just kind of like a hard line, a little mm. more of a harder line saying, gotcha. okay, you cannot, you know, you must be this tall to ride this ride. You shall not pass if you're this so tall. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah, especially if like you know the door to the the door to the fun house is four feet tall. If you're five, you can't get in because <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like a limiter. It's saying nope, you're not going to get above this. And the this whole threshold. hallway is that way, so you can exactly. duck down and you can crawl in, but you can't stand up past that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I got you. yeah exactly. Now the compressor is going to like find a way to help you bend and rip, bring your feet up and then help you slouch so you're going to fit all the way through. Now, the limiter is just going to be like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shove your... Is this some sort of fun house? What do you think about that schooled response? <laughs> <laughs> Why, having fun? Um, and this is all done on the computer. Do you have a computer? <laughs> all right, we're... Um, oh, so here's another thing that's a common problem is phasing. 
yes. and dealing with overheads and, yeah. you know, and what is, what is phasing? Well, like, like that term, um, refers to like, if you look at an ocean or you look at ripples in water, that's a phase, you mm, know, one, okay. one sweep, so to speak. Um, what happens when, have you seen it? when two waves hit each other. Yes. Yeah. So it's like it gets disturbed, you know, or it's yeah, the yeah. image that, that, excuse me, that wave is, gets broken up. So it's the same way with sound waves, you know, so you've got multiple mics, you, you know, you've got the sound source arriving at the mics, like you were saying, yeah. um, at different points, you know, you've got a snare mic here, you got a floor tom mic over there. Uh, and, and they're, they're up on it to capture that direct sound of that instrument. Right. But, you know, those overheads are going to pick up this snare drum too. Yes. So the uh, the so, distance that it takes, or the time that it takes for the sound of the snare drum to hit that mic is going to be different. To than, hit the overhead compared to the one that's Compared to the 57. The snare drum that's dedicated. Exactly, yeah. So different. all of the compensation that happens is all kind of pertaining to that trying to get those things balanced yeah. out right. Now, if you know for a fact you're not going to, um, um, you're not going to make, keep it a live feel, then, um, you know, you have more leeway to like just chop out everything in between each snare hit. You know, I mean, like it's going along with the whole pop production thing, you mm-hmm. know, where it's just, you know, you're talking about loud, consistent, every hit, fat, 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 mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, odds are you can cut out everything in between. So you're not going to pick up cymbals in there or the toms going woo, 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 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so you have some more control that way, but, um, yeah. So trying to deal with phasing, you know, it's just really about balancing all of this. Um, the the arrival points the sound hitting the microphone um and i feel like when people hire me to play drums it's they could program the drums themselves but they want it they want a live drummer mm-hmm. sound but they want consistency too yeah so especially pop music yeah country different kinds of things like where where pop drumming is say, the subject material that we're, mm-hmm. we're talking about. Uh, like Chad Cromwell described, uh, beat music. Yes. You know? Yeah. You were with me when we interviewed him. Yeah. And one of the things that I will cut out is the the toms when I'm not playing the toms. Right. I, it's kind of a, it's another service I offer to the client. <laughs> and yet... I mean, you go all out. Uh, yeah, And yet... Uh, but, now I consider a friend, uh, Chad Melchert, a uh, great uh, Canadian drummer, talked about the uh, putting cotton balls yes. in his toms. And I'd seen that before. And That's like, amazing. Ah, that seems like a, just like a muffling thing from the 70s. But he's like, you know, we, we, we figured it out. You take the size of the drum and subtract three. So 16-inch floor tom, you'd get about 12 or 13 cotton balls throw them in there, and they just free float around and rest on the floor tom bottom head so that when you're hitting that snare drum or that kick drum and the floor tom wants to go, it just muffles it. Then when you hit the drum, you hit the floor tom, those cotton balls get out of the way, 
They bounce around in there, but they let the drum boom. But you Where don't have, have to let those cotton balls been on my life. Yeah, that's I, genius. And I haven't man. done that yet, um, but I need to. Um, but um, but there there are some um, misconceptions about the whole phase thing. It's like um, phase. It's always when you're talking about phase. It's it's always it's referring to one thing in relation to another. You know, um, so if if this were if there were just one drum. You know, it's like it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. You know, well, I take that back. If you have multiple mics, say you got one mic on it yeah. up close and then another mic far away, that's what introduces the whole uh, the opportunity for those waves to hit at different points. You know, so, yeah, yeah so it's not. Um, and a good example of this is if you're recording on a DAW and you've got. You know, yes. the two microphones there, Bingo. and yeah. you zoom in, you mm-hmm. can see these waves that exactly yeah. that you're talking exactly. about. And when you zoom in the, the two together mm-hmm. of the same recording, you can see where the waves are moving together or yeah. they're moving apart from each other. And there's ways that you can fix that. And there's utility plugins that you can use to flip the phase. Right. You can also move the track? Yes. Yeah, yeah you can move the track. Um but you're doing it such a small. Yeah, you're talking uh, down to the sample level. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Individual samples, um, because you know, depending on the sample rate, if you're recording at 48 kilohertz, most, if you know, most folks will know, you know, it's like 48,000 times a second mm. uh, that's being captured. So you've so got 48,000, you know. So on on the doll that you're recording, whether it's Pro Tools or. Logic. Where should where should your settings be for recording capturing acoustic drums? Where should they be? They should be at the preferred settings. Um, <laughs> um, you're talking gain stage, gain stage, like like uh, from preamp. Are you talking just your monitoring level? Well, you're like like forty eight. Oh, okay. Blah blah blah. Well, that's just that that would be whatever you want. I mean, like your sampling rate. Your sampling rate. Oh, your sampling rate. Yeah. yeah, I mean nowadays, you know, we're all all the way up to hundred and yeah something. But what 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 is going to be acceptable and yet not? There's c- um, completely uh, slow your computer down and yet get a quality sound and uh, the dynamic range of your kit, which is the lowest to the highest. Yeah, you know, from from a splash from a. You know the bell of a ride to the the yeah. kick drum. I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, I'm I'm not the expert on it, but um, you are right now. Um, <laughs> the uh, you know you know the material that people put out is still you know unless you're doing raw or high really high fidelity audiophile type yeah. stuff, it's still forty four point one. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's, that's what good CDs to know. were or whatever. Right. But the thought was, you know, but the thought still is, you know, capture at a higher, uh, some folks capture at a way higher rate, like double that, like 88, you know, but so me, to increase me, their resolution. For, for a home, somebody that's running a home studio. Okay, yeah. And it's not in a studio, not, I mean, like. Yeah. 44? Four, yeah, I would just stick to 44. Yeah, yeah. One last question. Difference between gain and volume. Gain. If I were to imitate a preamp, <laughs> I can talk really loud. I can talk really loud. 
or I can talk really <laughs> into it. I don't know. I'm trying to imitate what a preamp sounds like. Well, I mean, gain on a preamp is how hard it's going to hit the amp. Uh, it, you, you have various lo- um, stages of amplification going on. So coming in, you've got, I mean, like, I mean, your volume, like right there on your UAD, you're, yeah. if you were to pull down that fader, that's not going to affect the recording quality. Just right. purely your monitoring, your volume. Well, right now we're talking without headphones. Right. And the monitors are off. Yeah. But we're still getting signal in there. Right. So that's that's a good example. You have set the gain, and that's why the level is what it is uh-huh. in there. So gain because is we, so the, the gain input. Is, yeah, gain would be um, it's the level. part of the gain staging of your preamp or any piece of equipment like uh on a compressor or whatever like the gain um controls uh, there's more technical terms i don't know op amps whatever you call it um it sets that how hard it's going to be i can't describe it if you have a signal if you have a signal a sound going into a compressor or any type of plug-in if your gain is strong, it will affect it differently. If the gain is weak and you send it through, like, so say my gain is, is high, it's not clipping, yeah. it's, not, it's not distorting, yeah. but the gain is strong going into, and then I add a certain amount of reverb. Yeah. Will that affect how that plugin reacts to that signal? Yeah, like... Uh, um like in the case of a preamp, like how hard you hit that the, in the gain staging, that will affect how it affects your sound across the whole frequency range. Oh, so if, so, if the and gain... that's where the characteristic comes in from different preamps, like it's how they handled certain ranges. Like, man, this thing sounds great on a on a voice, but you know, the bass sounds like shit on it. Um, you know, it's like right. they, they had different sweet spots and how these, the processing and the chips or the um, amps and stuff on the inside, mm-hmm. how they handled um, different frequency ranges. So, um, yeah, the harder you hit it, yes, the more signal you send that processing uh-huh. element, um, you, you know, you get a different characteristic or whatever. Um but as for volume, that's just, you know, what you're going to, the output of that whole process, uh-huh. what you're just going to hear. I mean, think of a distortion pedal, you know, like I could plug my guitar into a distortion pedal. Yeah. You've got a gain and you've got level. Like, right, right. Yeah, exactly. So um, if I turn that distortion all the way up and the volume down, if, if, the, if, the, if, the, if there's a distorted guitar... And there's no one there to hear it. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. You know what I mean? That pedal, the gain is still turned all the way up. The The guitar is distorted. You just can't hear it. Not till I turn the level up on my amp. The level being the, the volume. Yeah, the volume. Yeah, thank you. Uh-huh. On the volume up. Uh-huh. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So if I turn that gain down, then it's not hitting the distortion circuit in there harder. You know, so you, know you still mean? have the volume, but you have less distortion. Yes, exactly. Because because you're not hitting and, the pedal as hard with the gain. Yeah, you're not feeding as much signal into mm-hmm. the effector circuit, so to speak. Exactly. So with drums, replace distortion pedal with 
a preamp, a well, 1073. It, it's the same thing, and that's what people love about it, harmonic distortion. And by harmonic, oh, right. it means yeah, it's exactly. not just a single frequency. It's it's looking at the whole spectrum, exactly. 20 to, or, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, no, and, good and, point, good point. It is, it is in essence, a distortion. A coloration, yeah, there is coloration. a distortion of uh-huh. the actual sound uh, from what you heard. And what it magically does to make yeah. it sound like, yeah. oh God, that sounds so good. And we're so used to that now, you know, like that is. Well, like that, I said, that brings us full circle to the yeah. whole idea of like, whoa, you've got a microphone on a snare drum, you hit it, you record it, you play it back, you're like, yep, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. But when you start introducing things like compression, like right. the preamps and the coloration, mm-hmm. the distortion that it does, quote unquote distortion. Yeah. Well, distortion. Yeah. Uh, then then you are reaching those uh, sounds that we've grown accustomed yeah. to that we like. And that's the craftier that's the craft part of the craft engineering, you know. Um, yes. Yeah. That, you know, uh, it's all very subjective. I mean, there is a popular range that we're all used to and we know, but some people don't go that route. I mean, I know there were a lot of albums. We were talking about it the other day, I think, like Radiohead, like deliberately trying to make the choice to not do pop production on drum kits because they they wanted that vibe of just sitting down going, you know, sitting right there in front of the snare drum. You know, it's just, a, you know, it's a stylistic choice. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, like anything mm-hmm. else. Um, yeah, and then the combination of uh, preamp and compressor, you know, mm. like that a certain uh, preamp when matched with a certain compressor really brings out what that preamp was doing. So you may not notice anything when you're like, oh, okay, listen to it through, through this preamp. Eh, it doesn't sound much different. But then when you hear it through another, like a compressor, that deals with those transients in the low uh-huh. in the lower end then you you start to hear a little bit more yeah wow man, that thing really did uh tone down some of the or whatever yeah on the snare drum or whatever it is but you're also talking about the order in which the yeah. signal passes right so the pass yes, signal, signal is path, going yeah. through the preamp and then the compressor, and then the compressor yeah as opposed to the other way around yeah, you just yeah. can't stack things yeah you gotta have that, a preamp yeah you gotta go and we're talking about like on, uh, on uh, uh, plugins in a DAW we're not talking about actual phys- but even physical I mean, well, I mean you, you could yeah that's the beauty you can try that in your in your system just to F yeah. with it you know right. you can do anything but knowing what the rule was was you know in order for you to get that little membrane on your microphone to produce a sound loud, loud enough for you to hear, it has to go through a gain stage, you know? Otherwise, you'd never be able to hear it. This little tiny piece of paper that's making voltage as it bounces in and out. Yeah. Polarity, you know, it yep. goes plus, minus, plus, minus, plus, minus. And, and that's just voltage. And so how in the hell are we going to get that loud enough for us to hear? So that's why it goes through. Yeah. Things like, you know, the amps. And I, I think like we too often overcomplicate the, these kinds of things. When you think about an electric guitar not plugged in, just somebody strumming away, how quiet it sounds. Mm-hmm. And the pickups are like microphones. Right. And you're running that, and it is creating that vibration that, what you described. Yeah. Moving the metal. Exactly. And yeah, it's creating yeah. that signal that an wave, amplifier yeah. is amplifying, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your yeah. eardrums. I mean, this is how our eardrums work. Yeah. You know, they're they're bouncing in and out, and it's insane. That's, I love, I, I just except love sound. Except <laughs> and, it, 
4K is gone for me. Completely gone. Wow. It's just... Boop. 4K? Yeah. It no, so if you no can talk in 4K, because it would be like... Uh, <laughs> no yeah. Yes. No, that's... Hopefully we've accomplished something here today. <laughs> Thank you well, for that. Yeah, I appreciate you asking me. Um, dude, it's I just hope, been... Uh, I, feel, I feel bad that we, it's valuable. been a long time coming to have you on to talk about this stuff, because I feel like I have been the benefactor so much of your patience, your knowledge... And uh, hopefully try and, 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 and I should say for the record, you know, it's like you helped me get this thing started. You stuck with us. Like you kind of like were handling just simple weekly processing. And then you were just like, I would really rather you do this and you mm-hmm. can, you can do this. You know how to do it. I'm going to yeah. show you how I'm doing it. And I was a little nervous at first, but it's like, it was empowering. Yeah. And you're like, this is your podcast. You need to do it. And uh, and kind of just kind of stepped aside from it, but it was it was like wow, I can I can do it, but um, yeah. but you continue to kind of cheer from the sidelines, oh, yeah. z- zoom in when we need help. There's I don't know listeners probably don't know how many times that we've been up against the wall with technological issues or not knowing if things were going to get published that week, and uh, you swooped in and, mm-hmm. and saved the day. Uh, so um, that's good, man. You guys. Yeah, I just I'm just amazed, you know. Here, here's, but this is it. This is all we do. We just sit around. And just no, shoot but it's the just shit. awesome. You've been consistent, <laughs> and you've, you know, you've. I, that's just such a big thing. It's such a valuable thing that you guys have been able to just knock it out. And hats off to you for, you know, was, making a plan and then sticking to it. And I mean, and and that goes back to this is a tangent. That goes back to the the benefits of the the schooling stuff. I feel like. You know, like, um, and you oh, can, but you knew me back before then. I mean, I didn't need that. Well, we just yes, you know, I take it. that back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, rewind a little farther back. That goes back to you being booking gigs for the band. You're a hard worker. You know what I mean? It's like I just, I'm, I'm just. It's just a form of repression. Just well, don't want to deal with reality. Very well, maybe. But, um, <laughs> but um, no, no, it's cool. It's cool uh, well, to be a part of it. Yeah, that, that's it. yeah. Well, you're not as much a part of it as you were, but but you still uh, are pretty very much a part of of it. Uh, just keeping the, the wheels greased and stuff like that. And and it's it's about time we had an episode for Zach years ago, and people. Uh, so it's it's about time that people uh, knew more about what you're doing and your voice and all that stuff. So I, I appreciate it. And also reminds me of the time that, you know, I went to a club here in Nashville and there was an engineer that I knew from Colorado who became a big fan of the podcast. And he goes, and he came up to us he goes, Hey man, I was like, Hey, how are you? This is my friend, Mike Jackson. He goes, the Mike Jackson, (laughs) dude, I know who you are. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. I'm like, Oh boy. Oh boy. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Shall we go to the pub? Yes. Go on, man. (laughs) Dude, thank you. Love you, man. Yeah, love you too, man. Goodbye. So there you have it, my conversation with Mike Jackson. You probably noticed that when you've known somebody as long as Mike and I have known each other, there's a pace and, and, and inside jokes and the way we converse that is... Uh, just the way it is. I'm, I'm super blessed to have him in my life and his family. I'm super blessed that he is two doors down from me. 
and we all are the benefactors of his uh, kindness and experience uh, in the early days of this podcast and continues to assist when needed so that we could bring you uh, the best quality podcast we can. I so appreciate his friendship and, um, and his time today with the podcast. And it was a treat for me to sit down and uh, just, you know, be friends talking. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I'll be back with you next week with drummer and author Rob Rufus. He is the drummer with the band Blacklist Royals. And he is also uh, an author of three books, his first book that came out a few years ago called Die Young With Me, and it's all about his experience growing up in West Virginia, starting a punk band with his brother, and then being diagnosed with cancer and surviving that. And I'm real excited to speak with him. I'm reading his book now, and I have to say, it is hard to put this book down. It is amazing. The book, again, is called Die Young With Me. I encourage you to check it out. So once again, I'll be your host for the next couple weeks, and then we've got Thanksgiving off, and then Zach Albetta will be back with us in December. So looking forward to having him back in the co-host chair on the podcast. But for now, everyone, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you can, get vaxxed, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.